Hello, everybody. My name is Andrew Gallison, and it is my privilege to welcome you back to the Speaking for Him podcast. So grateful that you've joined us, and I think it's going to be another blessed time of encouragement as we traverse this road that we call the Christian life. I'm excited to once again be digging in with you to The Chosen Season 2, and I realized as I was looking back at my notes that it's actually been quite a while since we did an episode, and so I'm really glad to be back here with The Chosen Season 2 episode, I Saw You, and so we'll be digging into that today, but before we do, I want to talk to you about what is going on. I know that a lot of times when I come on the show, particularly for my uh, news segment, I have some heavy stuff, but today I thought I would start with something a little bit more lighthearted, and it's a story from Steve Hartman on the road. Now, if you have a chance to follow Steve on social media, I would recommend that you do that. Steve does uh, human interest stories for CBS, and he just has a really great narrative style about him, and just the stories that he finds are awesome. And this particular story that I'm about to share with you is one that actually took place a couple of years ago. It would be nice to have an update, but I was just struck by this story again this week and I couldn't not share it. So enjoy this story of friendship and love as a very special child gets a very special happy birthday. How do kids behave when no grown-ups are around? Danette Mabes of South Brunswick, New Jersey says you never really know. Because you're not watching him at that moment and at that time. She had always just assumed her son was good. Right. Until recently, when 13-year-old Gavin Mabes got caught on tape showing his true character. Oh, my God. Gavin and some middle school friends had just arrived at a skate park. The park was empty, except for little Carter Brunel, who was here with his mother celebrating his fifth birthday. Carter is autistic. Big groups of older kids can make him nervous, so his mom, Kristen, was fully prepared to get him out of there. She just wasn't prepared for what happened next. I don't know. They've really just shocked me. It was unlike any experience I think I've ever had. You know how middle school kids sometimes operate like they're in a pack? Well, that's pretty much what happened here. Gavin led the way, and the others followed. The only surprise was that Gavin didn't start trouble. He started a friendship. This kid's already better than me. Gavin's just going around with him and making him feel special. And the rest of his friends kind of followed suit and then started singing happy birthday to him. Happy birthday! That really blew me away. Because you just want to see the kindness in the world. And I wanted Carter to have a good birthday. It was such a great birthday and such a kind deed. Even the local police department responded. And we're going to throw you guys a pizza party next week over at school. But here's the best part. Since their first meeting, Gavin and the middle schoolers have continued to go out of their way to play with Carter. He was just so happy, and he made us all happy. So fun to be around. He's rad. (laughs) And as for the moms, for them, this was a moment of parenting utopia, where the only thing better than seeing your kid treated kindly is knowing that your kid is treating others kindly, even when you're not watching. That was so cool. I was just so proud of him. You want to race? He's good. You did it right. 
Thank you. <laughs> Steve Hartman on the road in South Brunswick, New Jersey. I get emotional every time I watch that video or hear that story. I'm emotional again today. And I think about the good friends that I have in my life and the people that pour into me and especially the people that never had a problem with my disability. I see people talk about disability on the internet sometimes and they will say things like, I I don't want to be treated like I'm disabled or I don't feel like I have a disability. I'm just a normal person who happens to be in a chair. And I understand that perspective. I really do. I even have it to a certain degree. But I also know the level of sacrifice that it takes to be my friend in a very real way and to take the time to establish and continue a relationship with me. What do I mean by that? Well, what I mean is simply this. When I get together with a friend, it takes a lot of advanced planning. I have to plan where we're going to meet, and I have to plan it very specifically so that I can get a ride at the day and time in question. I don't have the luxury of being spontaneous much of the time. And so when I have the occasional friend who is willing to pick me up at my house and take me to do something that just adds to the spontaneity of what we're able to do. There's still a level of planning that goes into it, but when someone is able to say, I'm going to pick you up and then we're going to have an open itinerary. We're able to do whatever we want on whatever timetable we want because They've opened up the possibility of bringing my vehicle and not having to meet me somewhere, and that's huge. I've mentioned before how my friend Adam McNutt and just a couple other friends have really been able to be willing to help me with my personal needs uh, without feeling uncomfortable about it once. And that's not to say that you're not allowed to feel uncomfortable, because I'm not able to tell you whether you're uncomfortable or not. Only you are. I really appreciate the people who have not been uncomfortable around me. And I also appreciate those who have been, but who we've worked through those uncomfortabilities together. That really does make for a stronger friendship. And so I just really resonated with the story and I just want to encourage you through this story to be the change that you want to see in the world and be the difference between somebody being depressed and somebody saying, you know what, I had a good day. As an individual, one of my greatest desires is to show people how they should be loved and to let them know that they matter. Because there was a time in my life when Jesus, the best of all masters, told me that I mattered. And he commissioned me with the job of telling other people the same. The next story that I want to mention comes from the March for Life, which was this past Friday. Al and Lisa Robertson were out there and they gave a powerful Christian testimony 
to Fox News. Pro-life activists hoping today's 49th annual March for Life in Washington is the last... Um, it, it, uh, is the last, excuse me, while Roe v. Wade is still the law of the land. Yeah, Rachel Campos Duffy joins us from our nation's capital, along with Duck Dynasty stars Lisa and Alan Robertson. It's great to see you all. Good morning, Rachel. Good morning. I wish I could transmit to you how darn cold it is here. <laughs> you are. We've been hugging each other. <laughs> We're hugging each other. It's so cold. Um, this is such an exciting march because, as you said, this could be the last march where we're under Roe versus Wade. And that's why I'm here with Al and with Lisa, two pro-life activists. And it's very personal for you, Lisa. Um, why don't you explain to our viewers why you're here? Because I think a lot of women are here for the same reason. Uh, I am here because at 16 years old, um, I was told lies about uh, what was actually growing in my womb. I was told that those, that what was growing in there was a glob of tissue, just cells. Um, and that, um, you know, until this baby was born, it was not a life. Uh, so to um, abort that child um, was not really that big of a deal. And um, it, you know, just going with your life after it happens, that was 40 years ago. And I still think of that day every day of my life. And um, through Jesus Christ, I have been redeemed. He's forgiven me. But the regret is always there. It will always be there because I um, rid myself of a child, uh, that generation, plus uh, generations after that. Yeah. And um, so I just want women to know the truth before they choose um, to abort their child because... When you abort the child, it doesn't get rid of the problem. That's just when your problems begin. Yeah, it's really, it, it's, it's, it's one of the greatest lies. It's one of the things that people don't talk about is the aftermath of an abortion. That's right. The, um, Al, so people come here, as you know, we're braving some real cold weather here. And people <laughs> do it every single year. And your people of faith, people come here and they pray. Right. Yeah. They pray to end Roe versus Wade. And we're, we're, we might be on the cusp of that. What does that mean to you? Well, it's obviously very exciting, you know, what's happening. I feel like the pro-life movement is now the pro-love movement. Yeah. I mean, we've really shown that. And, you know, around town last night, all the young people I saw, I mean, just groups and groups and groups of young people. That gives me great hope that yep. as we go forward that we're going to get this behind us and get this curse off of our country. Yeah. Yeah. I would love to see that rebranded, the, the pro-love movement. Yeah, that's um, there right. is a lot of love here. There's a lot of youth. Um, technology has obviously um, been on the side of this movement right. with 4D yeah. ultrasound. Right. And you can't you can't have a baby and not know it's a baby. That's exactly <laughs> when right. When you, That's you, exactly when you actually right. given birth, yeah. you know yeah. what really happened. Um, it's so great having you that you've dedicated your lives um, to serving God, but to serving this movement as well. Um, it's so great having you here today. Thank you. I just thought that was a very powerful testimony from Al and Lisa Robertson, especially Lisa's personal story of tragedy of how she was deceived into believing that it was a clump of cells and not a human individual. And now she is redeemed by God. She has given her sin to Jesus and he has exchanged it for his righteousness. As we've talked about on this program, it's the most wonderful thing that can happen in your life, but she still lives with the reality of that abortion um, and I think it's a good testimony to us that sin can be forgiven, but the ramifications of the sin can stick with us. And I think it's really great that she's encouraging people, hey, don't make the mistake I did. Because sometimes the mistakes that we make can cause us to be silent, 
but she is choosing to speak out, and I think that's great. The other thing I want to point out, which, again, I've talked about before, so I'm not going to belabor the point, is the fact that we're long past a time, technology-wise, where you can say that the unborn child is not a baby. There might have been a time in the 70s when Roe vs. Wade first came down when you could make that excuse. We didn't have, as Rachel Duffy said in this piece, 4D ultrasound back then. Um, And I have said on numerous platforms, I think even on this podcast, that we are in a time where you can say that you should have the legal right to abortion, but you are no longer able to say that abortion is not murder. Because technology tells us that the unborn baby is in fact a baby. The reality is that a unborn baby will only ever be a baby because that's what it starts out as and that's what it comes out of the womb as. And it's pretty sad that for many unborn babies, the most dangerous place for them to be is in the womb. All right, well, I'm excited to dig in with you to the second episode of The Chosen, Season 2, I Saw You. And before I do that, though, I want to share um, some excerpts from a video that Dales Jenkins did about a month ago regarding some of the issues that people have taken with The Chosen. Now, if you've listened to this podcast for any length of time, you know that I am very strong on biblical accuracy, that I want to make sure that the things that I talk about on this show are faithful to the written, inerrant Word of God, that I don't believe that that text should be altered in any way, and we just finished a series not too long ago talking about how we should not make compromises with God's Word. It is what it is, and as the old song says, the Bible stands. But I wanted you to have a chance to hear from Dallas Jenkins himself about what motivated The Chosen and how they put together the episodes so that hopefully you will be put at ease about the content. I am fully confident thus far in telling you that I believe that the content is biblically accurate. Where something is not in the Bible, it has been at least quite plausible. Now, there have been a, at least one episode, um, and I think there's one coming up in Season 2, as there was in Season 1, that doesn't have very much from the Bible itself. And I've told you before that I have a harder time with those episodes because I definitely want to see the Scriptures woven in in such a way as it is honoring to the original story, but also gives us a little bit additional background about what may be plausible would be the actions surrounding what we read in the Bible. I have endeavored to do the same thing with my monologues that I've written mostly for the Passion Week. 
I've tried to take the things that are in the scriptures and do historical research as well and tried to put together a narrative that is both riveting and biblically accurate. And I believe with all my heart that that is what Dallas has endeavored to do. But let's hear some excerpts from this video from Dallas himself. Hey, I'm Dallas Jenkins, creator of The Chosen, and I want to take a moment to address what may be the most important issue of this show for you and other viewers. And that is, what is The Chosen's approach to scripture and faith, and can you trust it? Now, this video is, for lack of a better term, somewhat of a statement of faith for The Chosen. So if you have questions or concerns about the show, or if you have a friend who's on the fence about watching the show because of similar concerns, this is the video to watch. Now, right off the bat, I want to make something very clear. The Chosen is a narrative show, which means it's not a documentary. It's also not a church. It's not a nonprofit ministry. It's not formally connected to a denomination or faith tradition. And it's absolutely not a replacement for scripture. It's a show. Now, however, that's not to diminish the importance of getting things right. We have an obligation to take this seriously. We're talking about the Son of God here, a show inspired by Holy Scripture. And you have legitimate questions or concerns when considering something like this, especially when you've seen plenty of media about the Bible that's been problematic or insulting, or when you didn't know who was directing the project and if they shared your values. It's important for you to trust who's involved, and we get that. So since this project was conceived, we've seen a litany of questions or criticisms raised, which is to be expected. Some of the most common issues brought up include that there are non-believers involved in the cast and crew, or what about adding the show, adding, I'm sorry, what about the show adding to scripture? Doesn't Revelation say we're not supposed to do that? And even though I'm an evangelical and I'm in charge of the content, we've got some evangelicals upset that there's some Catholics involved. We've got some Catholics concerned that I'm not a Catholic. Some are concerned that there's some Mormons working on the project, including at the distribution company. And some of their Mormon friends are concerned that they're letting an evangelical control the show. And then, even within the evangelical community, there are the concerns about the wording of some of our materials, from the title of the show to various memes. I've been part of a conservative Bible-believing background my entire life, and I was a Bible major in college. I believe the Bible is the Word of God and that it needs no improvement. And the consultants I talk to and run things by also all believe the Bible is the Word of God and needs no improvement. And as I said before, but it bears repeating, this show is not a replacement for Scripture. And we make that very clear up front before episode one. And when we add historical or cultural or artistic context and backstory into the show, that changes nothing about the Bible itself. The Bible is the Bible. Scripture is Scripture. Now, I happen to be an evangelical, so as I mentioned, the show isn't connected to any formal church or religion. But of course, this show is about a Jewish man and his Jewish followers, so I'm going to stick to their stories. And we obviously don't demand that everyone connected to the show comes from an evangelical perspective. We don't even demand that everyone is a believer. As long as the content itself is faithful, we're less demanding with those who help deliver it. The content shouldn't compromise. And the quality of the people and the work ethic of the team shouldn't compromise. But whoever on the cast, crew, or distribution team will help us achieve that goal of delivering an uncompromised, impactful show with high quality and get it out to the most people possible, regardless of their faith background or lack thereof... I'm thrilled to work with them. And I can tell you, our cast and crew and our distribution and marketing team have sweat and bled and cried for this project. They want this project out to every corner of the world, and they are making it happen. 
And unlike most distribution partners, ours don't require us to change any content. They're thrilled to distribute what we make. That is extremely rare, and we're very grateful. Number two, our process in the writing of this show, the creation of the content. First, we consult the Gospels. I hope that's obvious. Even though the Bible isn't the only source of history or culture of first century Galilee, obviously, our first and primary source for this show is the Gospels. Then there's a lot of prayer involved, as my co-writers and I, as well as my family, want to make sure we're humble and listening and not arrogant about the best approach to these stories, and prayer helps us do that. Then we run our scripts by our Bible and cultural consultants to ensure biblical, historical, and cultural accuracy as much as possible. Which brings me to number three which is that this show isn't based on any religious tradition or particular faith perspective. It's based on the stories in the Gospels and on history. If the scene is from the Bible or history, we ask, did this happen as we're describing it? And if we add something artistic or creative, we ask, is this plausible? Does it fit with the character of the people involved and at least the intention of Scripture? And if it does, then we believe this show can be a great tool to enhance the love of Scripture for viewers. Why do we believe that? Because we hear every day from literally hundreds of people who say that they've never been more passionate about Scripture since watching this show. Number four, when I'm constructing the content of the show, as well as all our behind-the-scenes and supporting content, I am not trying to please or seek the approval of any one person or group, including commenters on social media or critics, and there's been plenty. I've been called a heretic for working with people of other faiths or traditions, or for sitting down to discuss the show with them on video, and I've been called a blasphemer from some members of those other faiths. So when you're concerned that I'm working with someone or talking to someone of a different denomination or faith tradition, believe me, they've got people who are asking them why they're working with me. But I'm okay with that. As long as I'm doing the right thing before God, I don't mind being criticized. The only one I'm seeking the approval of is God, and many times my wife. Now, I mentioned earlier that we have consultants. They include a Messianic Jewish rabbi, a Catholic priest, and an evangelical scholar. You can see them in our Bible Roundtable videos. Now, that's not about seeking approval, as they and we obviously don't agree on everything. That's about seeking information so that we can make rational, informed decisions. Now, there was a lot in that video, and obviously, for sake of time, I'm not going to play the whole video here, but I just wanted you to hear some of these highlights and give you a few comments, although I think that, above all, Dallas should speak for himself. But just a couple things that I want to point out. First of all, he said that the Word of God is the Word of God and should not be altered and cannot be improved upon. I thought that was a very important thing. The second thing that I want to mention is that he has received flack for working with Mormons and people have been concerned that that has been possibly affecting the content of the show and making it less than biblical. But I want to point out that although Angel Studios, I believe, is run by Mormons, and although they have shot scenes from The Chosen at a Mormon-owned facility, that his theological advisory board includes a Messianic Jew, an evangelical pastor, and a Catholic priest. And so I think it's important for us to realize that he does not 
have a Mormon on his theological oversight board. And it's also interesting that he said that as long as the people that are working on The Chosen do not want to compromise the message, I am thrilled to work with them. And I think that is important as we have discussed at length on this podcast, it's important to make sure that we are aware of the wiles of the devil and the way that truth can be twisted. But I thought it was important to start out this discussion of this second episode with those comments from Dallas as a background. So now I want to dig in with you to season two, episode two, of the chosen, I saw you. And we'll start with our quote of the day. This quote really resonates with me so much so that I put it on my Facebook last night after rewatching the episode. And I got a little emotional thinking about it again today when I watched the episode for the third time. So I think it's a very important quote. And in this episode, there are two main storylines. One is Nathaniel uh, being called by Jesus to be a disciple. And one is Matthew getting to know Philip. And this comes out of a conversation that Matthew has with Philip. And I'll play you the clip in just a few moments. But here's the quote. When you meet the master, am is all that matters. I think this is so important because when you look at the Bible, you see not a bunch of people that have it all together, and so that's why they're serving God, because they're just so perfect, and that's why God chose them. No, you see flawed individuals who are used despite their flaws. I'm going through the Old Testament again, and over and over, the children of Israel transgress the law and go against God. But when they turn back to him, God sends a flawed but godly individual to deliver them and to prove his power to save. God didn't choose Moses because he was the best man in the world. No, he chose Moses because... He wanted to demonstrate his power. Remember, Moses said, I can't go and deliver the people. And God said, go and I will tell you what to say. And he sent Aaron along as an encouragement. You have David, who, though he is regarded as a man after God's own heart, he had plenty of flaws. He was an adulterer, and he ended up being a murderer because of his adultery. And yet God said in the New Testament, after all that happened, that David still had the reputation of being a man after God's own heart. So when we're talking about being a godly man, we're not talking about perfection. What we are talking about is that when we come to God, he has the power to change us. And before I say anything more about the episode, I just wanted to play you a clip from the episode, it's a little bit more of an exposition of the quote that I just shared with you. This powerful conversation between Philip and Matthew. What's up with you and Simon? 
He doesn't like me. He sees me as his enemy. Why? As a tax collector. Mm-hmm. Now he's everyone's enemy. That doesn't shock you. I was something else once, too. Once you've met the Messiah, Am is all that matters. Next time he rides you, remind him that the people out there, they want to define us by our past, our sins. Out there, where? With the sleepers. But we're different. We're awake. I don't understand. Well, you haven't felt any relief except with him, have you? Your rabbi? No. Don't expect to. I absolutely love that clip. Because Matthew is lamenting his past because it's causing friction between him and Simon Peter. Because as The Chosen Season 1 depicts, Matthew was the tax collector that Peter owed money to and was unable to pay, and then God provided a miracle catch of fish which allowed him to pay his debts. But Peter has often looked down on Matthew for who he was. But see, Matthew began a dramatic transformation on the day that Jesus walked up to his tax collection booth and said, follow me. And Matthew got up and followed him immediately. And I often wonder what that would be like. And if you watch further on in the episode, you'll hear uh, Philip ask Matthew, was it hard to leave your old life behind? And Matthew says it should have been. But then he relates how it was actually easier than he thought it would be. So to backtrack a little bit, this episode starts with Nathaniel, who this series imagines as a successful, or semi-successful, I should say, architect in a Roman city. And Nathaniel is trying to build this great building, and he has these great ideas, and his ideas aren't being listened to. And then the whole building that he's working on collapses. He loses his job. He loses everything. He actually goes to a bar and tells the bartender, someone I know died. And through the course of the conversation, it becomes apparent that what he's talking about is his old self and his dreams died with the collapse of that building. And then the other storyline is Philip coming to join the disciples and he is depicted as a friend of Andrew and some of the disciples are wary, but he immediately connects to Matthew and that's where that conversation comes in that we just played where Matthew and he are talking about the fact that when it comes to the master, when you come to get to know the master, am is all that matters not was. And to me, that was so powerful because Paul puts it this way in the scriptures. Forgetting those things which are behind, I press on to follow Christ toward the high calling that he has given me. That's a paraphrase. But Paul's whole point was, 
I'm not going to dwell in the past. I was a murderer and a blasphemer. I watched Stephen be stoned. But God redeemed me. He forgave me and he placed me in the ministry. And I just thought that that was very powerful. And then you see Nathaniel sitting under the fig tree. All hope is lost. And he cries out to God and he wonders if God sees him. And what does Jesus say when he sees Nathaniel? He says, I saw you under the fig tree. To me, this is a very powerful episode and I really liked the way they wove things together. Uh, as I said earlier on, there are some times where you're like, it seems like they took a, a lot of liberty and and it's a little bit more uncomfortable when it's less from the Bible, but I really feel like the things that they portrayed in this episode are woven together well. Another aspect that sticks out for me is when Peter is talking to Jesus and he's being impatient and talking about people slowing him down. And Jesus just says, if you feel like people are slowing you down, maybe it's a sign that you should slow down. Letting Peter know that even though he has the potential to be a good leader, that just because he has an opinion doesn't mean that he should lord it over them or that his opinion is the only one that matters. Uh, Peter is definitely all about control and making sure things go right, but in the effort to do that, we notice in the scriptures that he made a fair amount of mistakes. And so it's just an important thing as we consider um, the proper response to the things that, Jesus tells us. And then, I love the interaction with Jesus and Nathaniel when Nathaniel comes to him. First of all, we see Philip talk to Nathaniel and say, we found the Messiah. It's Jesus of Nazareth. And he says, can anything good come out of Nazareth? And he starts talking about how bad Nazareth is. And Philip just says, come and see. I know that you will understand when you see him. And it's kind of interesting because we sometimes think that Peter was the first one and maybe the only one to understand at the front side of the resurrection that Jesus truly was the son of God because he's the one that makes the declaration. But one thing you realize as you study and one thing that was highlighted in this episode is that Nathaniel says right out of the gate, when he first meets Jesus, he says, you are the Son of God. And I just think that's a very powerful thing. When we meet Jesus, when we have an encounter with the living Christ, we basically have one of two experiences. Either we harden ourselves to the truth, and we make ourselves believe that it doesn't matter that Jesus is the Christ, or we surrender and give him everything that we have. 
because we know intrinsically that he's the one that can be trusted with our lives. Now, I know that the disciples didn't understand everything, even Nathaniel, because even Nathaniel was one of the disciples that forsook him and fled when the Passion Week came. But the reality is that for so many of these disciples, there were specific times when Jesus reached into their lives and said, I'm going to use you. And there was something in the disciples that compelled them to seek to be used by him. Think about Peter when he saw Jesus preach on the boat, his boat that Jesus had asked for the use of, and his response on encountering Jesus was simply, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man. You know, as we navigate through life, one of the things that we tend to do as humans, I'm as guilty of it as the next guy, is trying to put our best foot forward. And who wouldn't want to? But I think there was something about Jesus that made people know that that wasn't possible. That even if you tried to put your best foot forward, it would be a futile effort. Because he knows where your feet are actually planted. He knows your heart. Think about the time with the paralytic when he tells the paralytic that his sins are forgiven. And the Pharisees just think. They don't talk. They just think. How can he say, your sins be forgiven? Jesus hears it. Even though they didn't say it out loud, he knows their thoughts and he says, which is easier? To say your sins are forgiven or to say, rise up and walk? And he basically says in the episode that The Chosen did about this, he says, it's easy to say anything. But so that you will see that the Son of Man, referring to himself, has power on earth to forgive sins, I will say to the man sick of the palsy, rise up and walk. And he walks. I also thought it was interesting that there was a time when I believe it was a fire that was built and Peter commends Philip for doing it and Philip says, I didn't do it, Matthew did. You should thank him. Showing that our expectations often do not meet reality. And I found it interesting that They had Peter take a negative view of Matthew writing down an account of Jesus for safety reasons. And yet we know that Peter will one day write his own book. I have resonated so much with Peter throughout my life, especially as a believer, someone who wants to do the right thing, 
but often has his mouth get the better of him. But I'm thankful, as we said earlier, that God loves me and sees my potential and not who I was before I met him. Because Jesus told us in John, without me, you can do nothing. But he also said through Paul that we can do all things through him who gives us strength. Now, that means having to do what God wants us to do and not follow our own agenda. There was one particular scene where Jesus said to Peter, there is a time for more organized leadership, but that time is not now. Timing matters. Everything that Jesus did was deliberate. Every disciple that Jesus picked was deliberate. If you're listening right now, I truly believe that it is because God caused you to get access to this podcast and that he wants to do a work in your life. Perhaps he's been working on your life for some time now. May I encourage you to surrender? I just thought that this was a very well-done episode. I thought that the artistic parts were plausible, where they weren't included in the Bible. Um, So I would give this episode four and a half stars. And um, I would encourage you, as I said, to watch The Chosen and, and do so with a discerning eye. I'm not afraid to tell you about things that I find that I disagree with on The Chosen. Um, but as I mentioned before, I do believe that there's a difference between disagreement and heresy. And I think we need to do our due diligence to make sure that things are accurate and that they are not contradicting scripture, but we also need to be willing to be open to other people's ideas. And I think you will find this episode of The Chosen to be extremely edifying and extremely enjoyable. And I just love the servant attitude that... Jonathan uh, Rumi uh, has in in playing Jesus and the kindness that he exudes and the patience because that really reminds me of the patience of our God. Psalm 103 says that he knows our frame. He remembers that we are dust. And uh, so I was really reminded of that in this episode. You know, Matthew felt like an outcast. He felt like he didn't fit in. And I love how Philip said, I feel that way too. You're exactly where you need to be. Stick it out.
So if I could give you as a believer some encouragement today, if you feel like an outcast, know that that's where Jesus will meet you. That he has a purpose for the way he made you. Remember earlier when we were talking about the March for Life and and we were sharing that story from Lisa Robertson, how that baby that she carried at 16 and aborted was not a clump of cells, but was in fact the very image of Almighty God. The reality is that God knit you together in your mother's womb for the express purpose of doing something for his kingdom. If you do not yet know the Lord Jesus Christ, it would be my great privilege to tell you more about that. If you contact me on my website, you can email me, andrew at speakingforhim.com. And that email address will be repeated again at the end of the podcast. But nothing would give me greater pleasure than to explain to you how you can have a relationship with the God of the universe. And the God of the universe that saw Nathaniel under the fig tree at his lowest moment is the one who sees you today. That's about all I have to share on this week's episode. I hope that you have enjoyed it and that you will share it with your family and friends. I hope you have a great week and keep serving the best of masters. Thank you for listening to today's episode. Your host has been Andrew Gomison, founder of Speaking for Him. For more information on today's show and to leave us comments and voicemails, visit speakingforhim.blogspot.com. You can find Andrew's ministry at speakingforhim.com. That's speaking, the number four, H-I-M. You can also interact with us at facebook.com slash speakingforhim and on Twitter at Speaking for Him. And when you look for us on iTunes and Stitcher, let us know what you think of the podcast by leaving a rating and review. 